Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me once again in your Bible to Ephesians where we've been for the last several months looking at God's desire for our life and looking at what God desires for us to how to live and what to do and, and all that. And so uh, let's join together our hearts and lives so that we might hear the Word of God. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, I praise You and thank You for the privilege of coming to Your house. And we praise You for Your Holy Word that is here for us to understand and know how we should live, how we should walk. Lord, we praise You, Lord, that You would allow us the opportunity to, uh, to hear Your great words. Lord, bless us as we study Your Word. And Lord, we pray that You would guide us in Your way that we might live and walk for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on how we should live. And I got to thinking about that a little bit uh, today, uh, this past week. And uh, when it was pointed out in one of my Bible studies that I do, uh, one of my devotions that I do each week, uh, is that a lot of what uh, we understand to be the uh, prison epistles of Paul were written while he was in prison in Rome. And, uh, and the reason that he wrote these uh, in the two years, two plus years that he was in prison there was uh, because he was in prison, he could not go and visit these churches and to help them. And that got me to thinking, you know, we go through a lot of bad things at times. We go through difficulties and struggles. And we go through periods of time where we, we just, I guarantee you, Paul probably said, what did I do wrong that made me end up here in prison? Why was it that I had to go and be a part of prison, be in, in jail, locked up, and even though he was under house arrest for a, a large part of that time and he was uh, free to, uh, to have people come and visit with him and everything? Uh, and he was almost uh, free to do whatever he wanted to as long as a, an armed guard was there with him. Uh, in spite of all that, he was still constrained by chains. He was still locked up. And, and for Paul, that was uh, almost uh, a, an embarrassment that he should uh, be in, in bondage and chains. But uh, throughout what he wrote, he said, I, I, uh, these chains of bondage are a badge of my... Uh, um, uh, willingness to serve God and to be persecuted in His name. And, and Paul saw it as a great victory that he would be uh, persecuted for the name of Christ. And uh, But just think about that uh, the next time that you go through a difficult time. Think about that the next time that you're uh, going through struggle. You know, we go through periods of time in our life where we might... Uh, uh, be uh, out of work because of uh, uh, no fault of our own or we might be in a difficult situation because something that happens to us uh, with a co-worker or somebody else in the neighborhood. We might go through a difficult time because of, of, of circumstances that we don't always uh, uh, believe were our fault. 
And it could very well be that God is using that time of difficulty, struggle, straining your life, not only to help you to learn to depend upon Him and to, and to rely upon Him, but also give you opportunities that you would have never had had you not gone through that. Paul said... Uh, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, uh, there were several prophets that came up to him and, and uh, uh, told him that he was going to be put in bondage. Uh, there was one who took off his belt and wrapped it around Paul's hands and said, this is how you're going to be led away if, you're, if you continue on to Jerusalem. Yet Paul believed that it was God's desire for him, that God had, was directing him to be put into bondage and, and chains. And Paul probably didn't understand that. He probably didn't comprehend that. And Paul said that he was able to witness to people that he would have never had the opportunity had he continued on. You know, remember Paul had been on these missionary journeys. He had been going all over Asia and he'd been gone over all these places and started all these churches and, and witnessed and changed the lives of, of thousands of people. And yet Paul would have never had the opportunity to preach to kings, uh, to emperors, to uh, governors, to all these different people that he was able to uh, uh, witness to because, simply because he was going before them and giving a defense of what he was being accused of. And in, in that defense, he was able to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was able to share his testimony, what we'd call his testimony today. Here's what happened to me. I was doing this for the church and then God uh, uh, struck me down and, and Jesus talked to me. My life was changed and transformed and now I'm about doing God's will and I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and for that I am being persecuted. That was Paul's testimony. And you know what? The, the wonderful thing is, is even though uh, you might not be struck down the same way that Jesus... Uh, way that Paul was, and you might not have uh, that kind of experience, you do have a testimony that you can share. You do have a, a, a testimony of how your life was before Christ came into your life. You do have a testimony of how God has changed you and transformed you into a new person. And that's what we're talking about here in Ephesians, about how God is changing us from the old man and transforming us into the new man. And we talked about last week in uh, the uh, chapters, uh, chapter 4, verse 17 through 24 about the old, old man, the old characteristics. And we talked about how uh, uh, we need to put off these old habits and these old things. Look at the scripture here again. It says, you know, you're to put off all this uh, the vanity of the Gentiles. And what that is, is walking without a knowledge and understanding of God, uh, uh, not having an understanding of who God is or uh, your uh, 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 walking through darkness. And he says to, you're also to put off ignorance and uh, you're supposed to uh, take away the blindness of your heart and you're to uh, keep away from lascivious behaviors. And we talked about uh, all these things, about not just simply uh, what it, it, it appears that it's saying here, but the underlying message is, is that we ought to uh, take away the, the attitude and the ways in which we lived. And uh, we talked about lasciviousness being a very dirty word and talking about how it uh, 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 resembles these... Uh, I, I kind of think of it in terms of a rowdy bunch of guys after... Uh, 
a uh, 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 that are going to a sporting event. Uh, just think about a bunch of rowdy, worldly guys going to a sporting event. They start out in their right mind. They start out uh, pretty decent guys at home, but by the time they're at the stadium, they're already starting to get drunk, and they're already starting to get loud, and they're starting to get crude in the way they talk, and uh, they're beginning to uh, uh, get boisterous in the way in which they interact with other people. And then somebody says, hey, can you guys calm down a little bit? And they start to get uh, uh, angry and they get uh, vengeful towards that person and maybe even uh, do some things that can cause harm to that other person. And then uh, uh, they get so rowdy and the carousing and that they go out after the game and they uh, engage in uh, activities that they would never be expected to do on Monday morning when they hit the office. But these guys, because they're in the wrong atmosphere, the wrong uh, group of people and doing wrong things, it leads to more and more wrong things in which they may even do criminal behavior simply because... And, and a lot of people say, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was around the wrong crowd, around the wrong people. But you see, it all begins with that first decision to get involved with those people. It all begins in the mind, and the, uh, and the mind is the greatest battlefield that we have. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, "Look, it's more than just simply uh, uh, not." You, you've heard in the in the in the uh, Ten Commandments, and a lot of people bring this up too. They say, "Well, you know, I never killed anybody." I, went, I never went out and killed somebody. Yeah, you didn't go out and take a knife or a gun and shoot somebody or, or stab somebody with a knife. But Jesus said, when you hate them in your heart, it's, it's the same as killing them. He says, I've never gone out and, and raped a woman. No, you've never done that. But uh, having, the, having lust in your heart and, and being tempted uh, with uh, a lustful vi- uh, thoughts in your mind is the same as, as lying in adultery doing the same thing. It says, uh, uh, you, you've never uh, cursed your parents, but if you've ever been angry towards your brother, it's the same thing. Uh, and Jesus was trying to say, uh, we as Christians live to a greater standard than the rest of the world. Uh, no, we're not supposed to do those outward things of committing murder or, or having a, 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 an adulterous affair or going out and, and, and stealing things from other people. But uh, he said... Uh, you ought to not allow those things to even enter into your mind. Why? Because Jesus understood, as the great Creator, He knows how we're made. And He knows that's where the beginning of sin is. If you uh, sit there and you think, man, I surely like that uh, my neighbor's car. I love that car. Boy, I tell you what, that car is just so wonderful. I wish I had a car like that myself. If you allow that, that covetousness of coveting your neighbor's possessions or, or coveting after those things that aren't yours, guess what you'll eventually do? If you allow it to run rampant in your life, you'll allow it to, uh, to eventually get to the point where you're, you may not go and steal your neighbor's car, but you'll do other things to steal and connive to get the money to be able to get something similar to that or to get a car, a car just like your neighbor. Or to steal a car that's like your neighbor's, or you steal your neighbor's car. And so Jesus understood that sin begins within our mind. And so we're told in our attitudes and our actions of, of how we're to keep from sinning in our life, 
in the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And these are things that we need to uh, be a part of our lives as well and make sure that we don't allow these things to continue to make us like the rest of the world. Jesus says uh, uh, that we're to live differently. That's basically the message of the Sermon on the Mount is, is that we're to live a different kind of lifestyle. We're not to live like the rest of the world. And the problem was is that the Pharisees, the Jewish pe- uh, the Pharisees were teaching the Jewish people that as long as you didn't do these certain things, as long as you didn't uh, uh, st- uh, steal and, and, and covet and you didn't uh, commit adultery or do all, uh, if you didn't worship idols and those kind of things, then you are God's people. You are set for heaven. You are bound to be in God's presence. And Jesus was saying it's so much more. And so, and the Pharisees wanted to tell uh, all, uh, they even got and developed all these laws, over 600 laws uh, that the Jewish people were supposed to uh, follow in order to simply keep the Ten Commandments because they believe that as long as we didn't do these Ten uh, Commandments in our life, as long as we obeyed them, then we would uh, be able to, to uh, uh, wind up in God's presence. That we would spend all eternity with God. That we would God, be God's people. And so they, uh, they made up laws like you're not supposed to walk so many days on the Sabbath day, uh, so many miles on the Sabbath day in order to try and uh, have a law that would keep you from dishonoring the Sabbath day. And they would make, uh, they made up all these laws to try and keep you from uh, breaking the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said, it's so much more. You're not simply not to break the laws, but to live a different life. And that's what we come to in Ephesians. In chapters 1 through 3, we talked about how we're different. Uh, Paul uh, explained to us how we're to be a different kind of people, that we're to have a different kind of life, that we're not to live in the way in the way of the world and and it, uh, he explained to us how why we were different is because of God's presence in our life because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and so in chapter 4 uh, through the rest of the, ch- uh, the book we see that these are the practical things of how we do it how do we accomplish that? Second Peter chapter 1 says uh, that you've received a new divine nature Throughout Paul's writings, he, he, he talks about how we're new people, new creation, we're uh, uh, new individuals. He, he talks about it in the, these verses that we read last week about uh, it being like a, a garment of clothes. He says you, you, you're no longer the same person that you once were. Verse 24 says that put off the old things and put on the new. He says you've not uh, been uh, the person that you once were. You're now a new person. Take off the old cloak Take off the old clothes and put on the new. We're going to look at verse 25 through the rest of the, of the chapter here today. It says, verse 25, Wherefore, put away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that uh, stole steal no more but rather let him labor, 
working with his hands, and the things which is good that he may have uh, to give to him that needeth. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, uh, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, uh, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so today I want to look at five areas or five uh, categories in which we are to have a changed life. Five areas or categories that we are to have a changed life. And it begins with the very first verse. In verse 25 it says, Wherefore put away lying. But speak every man, uh, every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It says here that we're to change lying for truth. We're to get rid of lying in our life. We're to take away the lying uh, ap- uh, aspect of our life. Anytime that we uh, tell a lie, usually it's for our own personal gain, right? You don't tell a lie just simply because, hey, uh, I, I'm, I think it's funny to, to tell somebody a lie. No, uh, most of the time when you lie, it's to get yourself out of trouble. It's to keep you from uh, uh, doing, uh, getting uh, uh, a punishment for something you've done. Or it's to uh, advance yourself and to do things uh, uh, that you're not able to do under normal circumstances because you don't qualify. I think about the, the uh, movie a couple of years back of the, of the true story of a guy who went around throughout his life and he uh, built millions of dollars from different uh, uh, banks simply because he was lying about who he was, lying about what he was doing, lying about the things he was doing. Uh, here's a teenage young man who uh, started off pretending he was a pilot, then went on to pretend he was a doctor, went on to pretend he was a professor uh, and a lawyer and all kinds of different things. He did a lot of different things (coughs) simply because he was conning his way through life and cashing millions and millions of dollars and running away from the authorities and doing all these different things. Uh, And he wasn't a, a... uh, a uh, ignorant individual. He had a lot of smarts. In fact, while he was in Louisiana uh, pretending to be a professor, he actually uh, studied for the bar and passed the bar uh, on his first try uh, without ever having gone to law school. Uh, this is a brilliant guy. He could have made a, a, an honest living as a lawyer there in Louisiana. In fact, he was... Uh, 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 put in a very prestigious position uh, because of uh, his law degree. He, he said that uh, uh, he, he pretended he had a law degree from Harvard, and so he was put in this prestigious position in, uh, within the government, and he was smart enough to do all those things. He just wanted uh, to cut the corners. He wanted to skip all the hard work. He wanted to, uh, he was lying in order to get something for nothing. And that's what lying is. Uh, The Bible tells us that lying is an attribute of the devil. It says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 that uh, that all these uh, bad people, fornicators, people who are uh, 
uh, murderers, thieves, and all these things. And uh, liars is one of the uh, uh, individuals that <coughs> will be thrown into hell. John chapter 8 verse uh, 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. <coughs> so when we lie to other people, we're uh, continuing in the process of following after Satan in our life rather than following after Jesus Christ. We're, uh, when we accept Jesus to, into our heart and life, we cut all ties to Satan. We cut all ties to the last part of our life that we had been living and we're to have a new relationship with God. God is not lies. God is all truth, right? God is nothing but the truth. And when we lie and allow lying in our life, we're still allowing the influence of Satan in our life. And, uh, because it says here in, in John chapter 8 that Satan is the father of lies. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 16 says, put away, uh, put away lies because the world is filled with liars. Uh, we're to put away that attitude in our life. And we're to add the attribute to our life, the, the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said what? He said, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. The way to, to God is through Jesus Christ. The way to uh, uh, having a relationship with Christ is through Him. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We are, if we're to be a part of Christ, if we're to have a relationship with God, if we're to have a life in Christ, then we must put away lying in our life. Secondly, we're to put away anger in us. We're to put away anger for righteous anger. Says, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, before we go on to, to the next one, he says, the reason that we are to put away lies is we're to speak truth with our neighbor, for we are members of one another. When we lie to each other, when we uh, deceive one another, we're deceiving basically part of our own body. We're not to, to lie because we don't. Uh, because we are part of one body. We are part of a body of Christ, and we are to keep from hurting one another. And to, verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Anger. There's uh, three different words that are used for anger in the New Testament. Uh, there's the first word uh, that is uh, thermos. Uh, thermos is a uh, an anger that is uh, you know you, it sounds a lot like uh, the thermos bottle uh, it used to be a brand of of insulated uh, bottles that you keep your hot coffee in or soup or something like that when you go to work. Thermos has the meaning of a boiling anger, a seething anger, a hot anger. It is a uh, an anger that is very similar to that of and that Satan is is typified by thermos is a is an is an anger that is out of control because it's boiling over it's it's uh, you've heard of people that have a uh, a, a short fuse and they uh, are a boiling anger kind of person that's that's this uh, this word here thermos uh, there's another uh, word for anger and it is uh, paragismos, and that is a 
uh, an anger that probably most other people tend to have in our uh, their daily life, and that's a seething inside anger. It's a fuming anger, resentful. It's it's an anger when you get angry with somebody, you don't show it, you don't uh, uh, demonstrate to the other person that you're angry. <coughs> But it's an anger that uh, is vindictive. I'll get you. Oh, I, I, I see what you are like. I, and you get angry at that person and it's a seething anger that, that is vindictive, that wants to get retribution, that wants to, uh, to get even. It's an anger that is formed in jealousy for what the other person has or, or has done to you and it, it's a, or an anger that's uh, rooted in envy towards that other person. It's, a, it's an anger that wants to get even for, for th- uh, perceived wrongs. The next anger is, is uh, typified by the word org. Uh, it is a settled convention uh, and it is an anger that is uh, uh, that is related to when someone violates something in your life. It's a conv- uh, it's a settled conviction in your life. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, you have uh, a love for your children. You don't want anything to happen to your children. That's more than just something that's learned. That's an innate desire to care for your children and when someone comes and and uh, does something bad towards your children that's this kind of anger it's someone that has violated a conviction within your heart has violated violated something that is uh, related to uh, your uh, strongly held convictions the Bible tells us that we are to be angry and sin not. This is the kind of righteous anger that Jesus Christ had when uh, He was angry at what the, the uh, tax collectors and, and those who were in the temple uh, changing money and, and taking the temple from the house of prayer that it was supposed to be and turning it into a place of commerce, a place in which they were stealing from those who were making a pilgrimage to the temple, who were desecrating the temple of God by, uh, by deceiving people and, and taking advantage of others. And, and, and Jesus was uh, very angry at what they were doing because they had taken what uh, the purity of God and had disrupted that purity. Uh, The house of God was a place in which the people of Israel were supposed to be in the very presence of God. And how can God be in that presence with the people when such evil practices were going on uh, in that place that was supposed to be set apart for the worship of God? And so Jesus was angry and He had this org kind of anger, but He was righteous in the way in which he was angry. He corrected that which was wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Then you'll remember that he lashed together cords and, and drove out the money changers because uh, his, his desire was to see the house of God to be what it was supposed to be. And this typified his ministry in that he was trying to take the people of Israel away from what they perceived to be the way in which they had a relationship to God and show them how they truly could through his death on the cross. 
And so Jesus was righteous in His anger, righteous in the way in which He uh, saw that. And there's some who say that Jesus also showed this righteous anger at the death of Lazarus. And you recall in this uh, the story of the death of Lazarus that Jesus came and uh, they, He had already died. And, and when He got there, um, everybody was crying and, and uh, it said that Jesus wept. And some say that, uh, some uh, philosophers and, and theologians say that that weeping that Jesus had uh, outside of the grave of Lazarus was because of the fact that uh, he was angry at the fact that they did not still did not see him as the one who had the power over death and the grave, uh, and he showed a righteous anger in that he was uh, righteous in the way in which he handled the situation. So we're to have a similar action in our anger, that we're to not have wrong anger that leads to uh, further sin. We're not to have wrong anger that leads to sin. Uh, Psalm 77 verse uh, uh, 10 says that we're to hate anger. In Psalm 69, verse 9, it says that we're uh, to be zealous for God, not tolerating what people do against God's name. And that's basically what Jesus was doing in the temple. He was not allowing people to desecrate God's name in the temple. So we're to have that same kind of, uh, of anger that is not permissive of, of those who would uh, desecrate uh, the the house of God. We're not to have a, a selfish, uh, passionate, undisciplined, uncontrolled, sinful anger in our life is to be banished from the Christian life. We're to repent and to confess anger. Uh, we're to get rid of it. Next, we're to uh, engage, uh, exchange stealing for sharing with others. Look at, at what it says. And it says... Um, after we've gotten rid of anger in our life, we're to not allow ourselves uh, to continue to take from others by stealing. He says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so we're to exchange stealing, which is to taking from others and taking what's not ours, taking what we haven't worked hard uh, to, to receive and, or taking those things that are not uh, rightly ours because we haven't worked for them. And in exchange, we're to do uh, what God has allowed us to do, and that is to work hard for what we have, to take not what we have not worked for and take not what we don't deserve, but to instead use the strength, the, the intelligence, the abilities that God has given us to work hard for the things that we have. Do you realize that when you work hard and you go out and do a hard day work at, at a job or, or uh, at, uh, in your own uh, supporting yourself on a, on a farm or, or in, a, in your own business, that you're doing that which God has provided for you, you are taking what God has enabled you to do uh, to the skills and the abilities that He's enabled you to have through the intellect that He's provided you or the, the ability and the hard work that you're doing. And that's what God has given you to provide for you and to take care of you. It's, it's similar to 
Uh, if you know when you go out here and you sit on your back porch or uh, somewhere in your house and you can see the birds and everything, what are they doing? They're out there collecting food, right? They're out there looking for bugs or worms or whatever it is that they eat. And they're looking for all that stuff to eat because that, why? Because that's what God uh, put within them instinctively to take care of themselves. God provides for them and all the things that they do and going around uh, searching for things. That's basically their work is to go about finding those things that God has provided for them to take care for themselves. Now, we don't ever see a bird go out there and steal what some other bird's gotten. We don't see a bird fly into a nest of somebody else and take what another bird's collected to take care of that nest uh, in order to go build up their nest. It's, it's contrary to nature to do opposite of what God is, has provided for you. God has provided for you the ability to work, the opportunity to work, the, the, uh, the strength to go out and to go and <coughs> excuse me, to do work. And so uh, not paying for things is not work, not doing those things that... Uh, uh, and basically when you steal, you're, uh, what are you stealing? You're stealing what other people have done, what other people have worked hard to accomplish. Let's say you go to uh, the restaurant and you go in there and you have a nice meal. And you steal that meal by dashing out the door before paying. What have you done? You've, you've stolen that other person's hard work because that other person has purchased the, the supplies to, in order to make your meal. You've stolen the labor that they have put into cooking your meal and the labor of delivering that meal to you and presenting it before you on a fine table. The labor it will take to clean up after you. All of that is labor that God has given. And so in essence, in stealing from them, you're stealing from God. Because God has enabled them to do that work. You're to give fairly for what other people have done and you are to uh, labor for the things that you desire. 1 Corinthians 6, it says, uh, uh, has, a, again, a long list of people that will inherit the kingdom of God, and guess who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Those who are thieves. It says, work harder so that you may give to others. God gives us the ability to work, and, and what that is is, God, uh, is participating in God's provision for your life. When you work, it is how God is providing for you. And God not only uh, desires for you to work hard for yourself, but to give to others. Paul said, uh, you know, Paul was a uh, tenement uh, worker. He made tents and he did things not just preaching out there and not just building churches. He, he did all this stuff and he preached tremendous sermons that, that helped uh, countless thousands to, to get saved. But he didn't expect the people that he went around to to support him. He went out and he he uh, made tents and sold them and he worked hard enough making tents that he was able to support himself and those who are with him, it says in Romans. 
So we're to understand that we're to, to work hard and to work so that we can be a blessing for others. It says here uh, that you are to uh, work with your hands the things which is good that He may give, have to give to Him that needeth. God provides a way for us to help those who are needy all around us. God helps us to have an opportunity to to serve (coughs) and to do the things necessary to help other people. Fourthly, he says that we're not to allow corrupt communication from our mouths, but rather have edifying words. It says in verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to have use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so we're to take that uh, that corrupt word, that that corrupt word. That what is uh, the word here is sapros, which means basically rotten. Think about it. Uh, uh, we recently, when we went on our trip to see Mama in North Carolina. Uh, we came back, and when we came back, we had, didn't have time to clean out the refrigerator before we left, and so guess what happened? All the nice fine vegetables that were in the refrigerator, guess what had happened? They had gotten, ooh, I tell you what, zucchinis, when they get bad, they turn to water. I mean, they just, they're just nasty. And, and tomatoes, when a to, if you ever put a tomato in your window and you let it sit there too long, and you think, boy, that looks nice and pretty. I'm going to slice that up and eat it. And you pick it up, and on the bottom is just black and white nasty spot where it's gotten all soft and everything, and it's gotten rotten. Think of that whenever you think of the communication out of your mouth that is uh, corrupt communication. That word basically means rotten. It means worthless, useless, diseased. It's offensive. You wouldn't put that nasty... Nasty rotten tomato in your mouth and eat it, would you? No, you get sick from it and you would you would spit it out because it tastes awful. You wouldn't try and eat that filthy, uh, uh, nasty vegetables when they gotten all rotten and everything because it just wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be good. Well, had been once good, it turned to something foul, something awful that you want to just get rid of as quick as possible. You put it in the trash and then you take it out to the, uh, to the dumpster. You don't want to even have it in the house because why? It, it smells up the house. It's offensive. That kind of language is not supposed to be in your, uh, in your life as well. It says... Uh, uh, Psalm 141 verse 3 says, uh, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. In Colossians 3, 8 it says, Put off filthy communication in your life. In Ephesians 5 verse 3 it says, Out of the mouth comes the heart. Here's the real reason why we get rid of filthy communication. Whenever you curse and whenever you allow filthy, nasty uh, 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 jokes and, and things that's just off color and, and uh, things that are just awful and nasty come out of your mouth, guess what that's doing? That's letting the rest of the world know what your heart's really like. Out of the mouth comes the, heart, uh, the condition of the heart. When you allow that filthy stuff to come out of your mouth, what it really is saying is, I'm no different from what I was before. 
you're truly a Christian, if God has truly changed your heart and life, you won't allow any of that filth to come out of your mouth. You want to share what God has done in your life. You want to express to others the true new nature in your life of what God has done in you. And when you allow that filth and clamor to come out of your mouth, it's saying that, that what God's done for you is nothing. doesn't mean a thing. doesn't really mean a thing in your life. That your heart is still filthy. It's full of all kinds of depravity. Romans chapter 3 says, Man's depravity starts within the inside and comes out of the mouth. But we're to have three new features of new speech. We're to have speech that is edifying, that lifts other people up, that is, uh, that is necessary, that shares the message of Jesus Christ, that shares the, the Word of God, that shares the true meaning of what God has done in your life that's necessary and that's gracious, thirdly. You ought to express the kind of, of attitude that Christ has, has begun within you. You ought to build other people up. You ought to have a, a, a kind of speech that is not uh, a frivolous, doesn't convey a, a filthy spirit, but rather is gracious. And fifthly, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He says, summing it all up, you're, to have, uh, you're not to grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? It's to convict your heart of a need for salvation. It's to change and transform your life, bring you closer to Christ. Make Christ aware in your life. You're, it's to, uh, the Holy Spirit is to convict you of a need for sa- uh, salvation by pointing out your sin in your life. And He's to change and transform you and seal you to the day in which you come into the presence of God Himself. And so when you allow these filthy things to be a part of your life, when you allow those things that, uh, that are a part of your life that we talked about of, of, of having uh, bitterness and, and anger towards other people, of, of speaking all kinds of uh, awful things in your life, of, of being evil in front of others, when you allow those things to be a part of your life, then you're basically saying... Oh, the Holy Spirit, He doesn't do anything. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, it, it, it means basically to deny the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why it's so dangerous. When you grieve the Holy Spirit that leads to, to death, that is grieving the Holy Spirit of saying, uh, when He convicts your heart before you become a Christian and saying, no, 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 I don't want to have that. That leads to uh, not accepting Christ into your life and, and in eternity separated from God in hell. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit in our life after we become a Christian by allowing the sinfulness of our uh, prior life, of the old man, to continue to rule in our life. We're to get rid of all those things. If you're doing all the things that, uh, that you were doing before 
you came to Christ, even allowing one or two things here and there, guess what you're doing? You're holding on to the old man and you're saying, oh, the Holy Spirit, He hasn't done a thing in my life. I don't have a new self. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. All the things that, uh, that are directed in your life, all these things that you were to, uh, up until this last fifth one, all related to how we relate to others. The work of the Holy Spirit is, is changing us and transforming us on the inside so that when we relate to other people, we relate the person of Christ. When Christ comes into our life, it's more than just simply to, to forgive us of our sins and allow us a ticket to go to heaven. Uh, our relationship to Christ is to change us and to make us into the creation that God desired for us to be so that when we come into His presence... We're holy what we should have been. What God created us to be. God is changing and transforming you now for all eternity in heaven. And His work will be complete when you stand before Him, but His work is going on now. That's what we talked about in chapters 1 through 3 about the fact that, that God is redeeming us. <coughs> That's the current work of God's plan in our life, of redemption, of changing us and transforming us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If we're a new creation, then we're ought to express that new creation in everything that we do. If you are a new creation, these things should be in your life. He says to put them all off with malice. He says, don't just simply think about someday of getting rid of that old cheap suit that you keep wearing that's five sizes too small and is filthy like you've been rolling out in the mud with the, with the hogs. Get rid of that thing with all malice. What does that mean? Hate the former self that you were and cling to the new creation that God has made you to be. Hold on tight to the new creation that God has made you because you hate what you once were without Christ. And he says, in order to do that, we are to be kind towards one another. That goes contrary to uh, lying, to stealing, to being angry. He says we are to be tender-hearted. That replaces the anger with a tender, forgiving heart. Forgiving one another. Why? Because it's a demonstration of what God has done for us. We're finally becoming like Christ. When we can forgive others, it means that we're taking on an attitude of Christ, an attitude of God that He has expressed to us of forgiving others because He has forgiven us. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we pray that You would work within us this morning. Lord, to put away the old things of this world, to put away the, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, the anger, the malice towards other, the filthy language. Help us to get rid of the old man. Get rid of the old self. With all anger, with all malice towards the old self of how we allowed ourselves to become. Lord, help us.
to claim to the new creation you've made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.